Hello and welcome to An Engineer's Journey Through the Book of Mormon. We explore the Book of Mormon with the assumption that science worked the same then as it does now and that the characters are real people with the same types of feelings and tendencies as you and me today. The views and opinions expressed here are strictly those of the narrator and should not be considered official interpretations in any way. And now An Engineer's Journey Through the Book of Mormon. Hello and welcome back. In today's video, we'll talk about Alma introducing the gift of excommunication and the impact it had on Nephite society. We'll also talk about the conversion of Alma the Younger. Now, before you leave, let me explain what I mean by the gift of excommunication. But first, let's do the trivia question from last time. Our question from last time was, how do we know the age of Mosiah and Alma? We find the answer to this in Mosiah chapter 29, verses 45 and 46. Now it came to pass that his father died, being 80 and two years old, having lived to fulfill the commandments of God. That was Alma. And it came to pass that Mosiah died also in the 30 and third year of his reign, being 60 and three years old, making in the whole 509 years from the time Lehi left Jerusalem. Those two verses provide a really useful timestamp. That would mean they were born in the years 173 and 154 BC, respectively. Okay, now what did I mean by the gift of excommunication? So to understand that phrase, we need to understand what conditions were like before Mosiah 26 and 27, which are the chapters we'll be discussing today. Although the Nephites believed in Christ, they were living under the law of Moses and would continue doing so until the coming of Jesus Christ. And the Mosaic law carried rather strict penalties for those wishing to leave the faith. In Deuteronomy 13, under the Mosaic law, if someone wanted to serve other gods or persuade people to serve other gods, you were supposed to kill them by stoning. So if you were a Nephite and wanted to leave the church, you didn't have many options. You could keep your opinions to yourself and go through the motions. You could speak up and risk being put to death, or you could leave and go join the Lamanites, who would be glad to welcome you. This may have contributed to the lopsided numbers that we talked about last time, where the there were more than twice as many Lamanites as there were Nephites and Mulekites combined. And here in Mosiah 26, this lack of options was becoming a problem. Verse 1 tells us that many of the rising generation did not believe the tradition of their fathers, would not be baptized, and refused to join the church. Because they were not church members, it seems that while the government had jurisdiction over them, the religious leaders did not. So this group, for example, was not subject to the death penalty under the law of Moses. And verse 5 tells us that this group was becoming more numerous. The problem was that those who did not belong to the church were starting to lead away people who did belong to it. Here's what verse 6 tells us. For it came to pass that they did deceive many with their flattering words who were in the church and did cause them to commit many sins. Therefore, it became expedient that those who committed sin that were in the church should be admonished by the church. Verse 6 that we just read shows that the consequences of sin depended on whether or not someone belonged to the church. Those not belonging to the church could get away with committing sins as long as they did not break the law. 
But to revisit verse 6, those who committed sin that were in the church should be admonished by the church. So, in good Mosaic Law fashion, when church members saw their fellow saints sinning, they rounded them up and hauled them before Alma, the high priest, and testified against them, quote, in abundance. Although Alma had probably dealt with individual cases of sinful behavior before, having a whole crowd of alleged sinners dropped on him was a new situation. So he decided to pass the issue along to King Mosiah. Verse 12, But King Mosiah said unto Alma, Behold, I judge them not, therefore I deliver them into thy hands to be judged. Remember from verse 6, we're talking about sinners, quote, that were in the church. So King Mosiah said, This isn't my jurisdiction, Alma. You handle it. Verses 13 and 14 explain that Alma was really struggling how to handle this, for he, quote, he feared that he should do wrong in the sight of God. And he, quote, poured out his whole soul to God. So why was this situation such a struggle for him? A verse in the next chapter might help explain. Mosiah 27.8 tells us, Now the sons of Mosiah were numbered among the unbelievers, and also one of the sons of Alma was numbered among them, he being called Alma after his father. So this may not have just been a theoretical exercise. Mosiah and Alma's sons might have been among those who were breaking the law of Moses. And what did the law of Moses say about rebellious sons? Well, here's Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that, when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and mother lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of this city and unto the gate of his place. That sounds a lot like what happened in Mosiah 26, 7. The sinners were rounded up and taken before the priests. Now, continuing with continuing with Deuteronomy. And they shall say unto the elders of the city, Our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. Rewinding a bit, that might explain why Alma asked Mosiah, who had four rebellious sons, Do you want to handle this one? And it might also explain why Mosiah told Alma, I'm not touching this one. Granted, it doesn't say this explicitly. I'm just connecting the dots with the available information. The law of Moses was pretty clear about what needed to happen. So, do you stone your own son and the sons of the king? Or do you let them escape and live with the Lamanites and never see them again? Neither of those options would be acceptable to a loving parent. So, Alma went to the Lord and asked for help. Verse 14, And it came to pass that after he had poured out his whole soul to God, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, Blessed art thou, Alma, and blessed are they who are baptized in the waters of Mormon. Thou art blessed because of thy exceeding faith in the words alone of my servant Abinadi. God then commended Alma for establishing a church. Now, remember how Alma, it says, feared to do wrong in the sight of God. God gave him the following reassurance in verse 20. Thou art my servant, and I covenant with thee that thou shalt have eternal life. And thou shalt serve me and go forth in my name and shalt gather together my sheep. That would be a reassuring thing to hear. God then spent the next several verses explaining that he was anxiously willing to forgive anyone who was willing to repent, not just once, but as often as necessary. And then in verse 32, he said this, Now I say unto you, Go, and whosoever will not repent of his sins, the same shall not be numbered 
among my people. And this shall be observed from this time forward. That, in verse 32, introduced a new option. If someone didn't want to comply with the rules of the church, they could choose to no longer be a member. By opting for excommunication, they could believe whatever they wanted, live however they wanted, provided it was legal, and still live among the Nephites. God clarified to Alma that excommunication would not allow these people to avoid eventual judgment. They must still repent or unavoidably face hellfire, but it kept Alma from putting them to death as the law of Moses may have required. And it also made it so they didn't need to escape and join the Lamanites to believe what they wanted. They could join the ranks of the non-believers and go about life as usual. The concept of excommunication is pretty well known to modern church members, but to Alma, who learned the law of Moses in King Noah's court, it would have been new in an answer to prayer. That option gave Alma a path forward. It says that he met with church members who had, quote, been taken in iniquity. If they repented, he welcomed them back into the church. If they refused to repent, they stopped being members of the church. Verse 37, And it came to pass that Alma did regulate all the affairs of the church, and they began again to have peace, and to prosper exceedingly in the affairs of the church, walking circumspectly before God, receiving many and baptizing many. So, as we conclude Mosiah 26, we'll move into chapter 27, where we will witness the consequences of allowing non-believers to remain among the Nephites. For some reason, when some people leave the church, they like to cause a scene, and they sometimes make fun of people who choose to remain members. So when Alma started allowing people to opt out of church membership, persecution reached an all-time high. It got so bad that Alma had to go to King Mosiah to get the government to get involved. Verse 1, And now it came to pass that the persecutions which were inflicted on the church by the unbelievers became so great that the church began to murmur and complain to their leaders concerning the matter. And they did complain to Alma, and Alma laid the case before their king, Mosiah, and Mosiah consulted with his priests. After consulting with his priests, King Mosiah issued a proclamation that strictly condemned religious persecution and required equality among all of his subjects. Peace was restored, at least on the surface, and the Nephite nation multiplied and became, quote, a large and wealthy people. But, while King Mosiah was working to establish peace in his kingdom, his sons were working to destroy it. They went about, along with one of Alma's sons, quote, seeking to destroy the church and leading people astray. Alma's son, who was also named Alma, seemed exceptionally gifted in stirring up trouble and encouraging sinful behavior. He, quote, was a man of many words and would speak much flattery to the people. Alma's son is sometimes called Alma the Younger, and he was a popular guy. Not to give too many spoilers, but sometime in the next 10 years, the Nephites were going to hold a general nationwide election. And an election is basically a popularity contest, and Alma the Younger won the whole thing. So having someone that popular working to destroy the church made things really difficult. Verse 9, And he became a great hinderment to the prosperity of the church of God, stealing away the hearts of the people, causing much dissension among the people, giving a chance for the enemy of God to exercise his power over them. The narrator describes Alma the Younger as, 
quote, a very wicked and an idolatrous man who, quote, led many of the people to do after his manner of iniquities. To make matters worse, his father Alma was the church's high priest and the office of high priest was often hereditary. So Alma might have been lined up to succeed his dad as the next high priest. Wouldn't that be a mess? So you can see why Alma was praying for help with his son, Alma the Younger. Verse 10, And now it came to pass that while he was going about to destroy the church of God, for he did go about secretly with the sons of Mosiah, seeking to destroy the church and to lead astray the people of the Lord, contrary to the commandments of God or even the king. I, I've wondered, how do you secretly go about destroying the church? It can't have been entirely secret because his father knew about it. Maybe he followed the playbook used today and secretly told people the, quote, real story behind Alma the prophet. Did you know that Alma, my dad, the person responsible for judging people, was one of King Noah's priests? And do you know what King Noah's priests did? I'll bet they didn't teach you that in Sunday school. And if they're hiding that from you, what else are they hiding? The implication of that approach is that unless a Sunday school manual reads like a tabloid, the authors must be hiding something or they're doing the members a disservice. And they forget that the reason people go to church in the first place isn't to learn about the leader's dirty laundry, uh, but to be uplifted and to mourn with those that mourn, comfort those that stand in need of comfort, and so on. And I, I really don't know what Alma did. I'm completely speculating. It doesn't tell us exactly how the prophet's son went about secretly trying to destroy the church. I'm just trying to connect the dots. But one day, as they were on their secret mission, verse 11 says, The angel of the Lord appeared unto them, and he descended, as it were, in a cloud, and he spake, as it were, with the voice of thunder, which caused the earth to shake upon which they stood. And so great was their astonishment that they fell to the earth and understood not the words which he spake unto them. The angel commanded the fallen Alma to stand up and demanded, Why persecutest thou the church of God? Alma's father had faithfully prayed for his son to be brought to a knowledge of the truth. Quote, Therefore, for this purpose have I come to convince thee of the power and authority of God. Can ye dispute the power of God? For behold, doth my voice not shake the earth? And can ye not also behold me before you? He continued in verse 16, Now I say unto thee, Go and remember the captivity of thy fathers in the land of Helam and in the land of Nephi. We talked about those in the last video. And remember how great things he has done for them, for they were in bondage. And he has delivered them. And now I say unto the Alma, Go thy way and seek to destroy the church no more, that their prayers may be answered. And this, even if thou wilt of thyself be cast off. After the angel finished, Alma and the sons of Mosiah, quote, fell again to the earth. Alma was so astonished that he could neither open his mouth nor move his hands. His friends carried him to his father and explained what had happened. Alma's father rejoiced, and he caused a crowd to gather so they could all, quote, witness what the Lord had done for his son. I wonder how Alma knew that his son, Alma the Younger, was going to turn his life around. Laman and Lemuel, for example, had seen angels and even been rebuked by angels, and they didn't make any positive change. Anyway, Alma's priest began to fast and pray for Alma the Younger to speak and recover his strength. 
After they had fasted and prayed for two days and two nights, Alma regained enough strength to stand and speak again. He told the people to be comforted. For, said he, I have repented of my sins and have been redeemed of the Lord. Behold, I am born of the Spirit. Going on, my soul hath been redeemed from the gall of bitterness and bonds of iniquity. I was in the darkest abyss, but now I behold the marvelous light of God. My soul was racked with eternal torment, but I am snatched and my soul is pain no more. And just as his father had prayed, Alma turned his life around and became a force for good. He still traveled with the sons of King Mosiah, but they had also changed. And together they went throughout the land preaching the word of God and trying to undo the damage that they had caused before their conversion, but they were not always well received. Non-believers persecuted them, sometimes violently, but they were a blessing and a comfort to church members. They traveled all over Zarahemla, confessing their wrongdoings and explained the scriptures to anybody who was willing to listen. Mormons summarized their efforts using the imagery from Isaiah chapter 52 that Abinadi included in his words to King Noah. And how blessed are they, for they did publish peace, they did publish good tidings of good, and they did declare unto the people that the Lord reigneth. All right, now we will end with the trivia question. What were the names of King Mosiah's sons that traveled around with Alma the Younger? In the upcoming book of Alma, we're going to get to know some of them a lot better. What were the names of King Mosiah's sons? We will see you next time.